If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Blue Talks. Just so we can jump right in if that's cool. Awesome. So next we have Alan Simberg. And I've known Alan for, I don't, I mean, I don't even know now. I'd have to go look. I have a book on the shelf that would tell me how long I'd known him because we met through a co-author uh, book opportunity. When people say to me, should I co-author a book? My answer is yes. Alan and I co-authored a book together. I, again, I don't know how many years ago and we still know each other to this day and still work together. So yes, absolutely. So Alan, welcome. And Alan, where we usually start is to get our guests to tell us a little bit about themselves. Okay, well, thank you for this opportunity. Uh, basically, I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist and licensed chemical dependency counselor. Um, I meet with clients virtually for the individual counseling, family, and couples counseling. And I'm also in the process of completing an e-learning program that I'll be marketing to addiction treatment centers. Nice. I love that. I love that because, um, well, I mean, at least you know as well, Shelly, my girlfriend, uh, is a, an addict and she's, you know, openly tells people that she embraces it in the sense that she feels if she puts it out there, then people that are struggling won't be as concerned about reaching out to somebody. Like they know she's not going to judge her if she's willing to put it out herself publicly. So my girlfriend's an addict and I can say this about them because they've been out there, but my girlfriend's an addict. My mother is an addict, both in AA. Uh, over the years, my grandfather was an alcoholic, and my father, I'm going to say 50-50, I think he was an alcoholic. I'm the only one that's not, is really the what I'm, I'm saying. And so uh, so I have so much appreciation for people that are willing, not willing, but willing to and uh, openly helping addicts, because I think it's something that, um, I mean, there's far too many addicts in the world struggling, and we need to put as many hands out there as we can, because I think... More often than not, at least you talk about not judging people. And I feel like a lot of addicts are judged without us considering what led to it and what they're dealing with at the time. So I just wanted to put that out there to get it off my plate right away. Okay. Well, thank you. Yeah. Thank you for doing it's that. Because you're from Houston, Texas, but you do sound like you're from New York. Well, actually, everybody says New York. It's New Jersey. All right. New York, New Jersey. When I, I, was wasn't, I, wasn't, I wasn't far from New York. I was right across the river. Edgewater? <laughs> Bayonne. Oh, Bayonne, the other the other bridge. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I was born in in Jersey City. And I lived there till I was twelve. So okay, well, you still got you, you're definitely not a Texan, no, <laughs> as no. far as your speech is concerned. <laughs> and I, I said the book that Alan and I met through, and I, I mean, everybody knows me knows that uh, I'm all about details and facts. Like in other words, if I say put something out there and I say, I don't know how long it's been, then I, I want to come back and answer that question. And so it was 2014, Alan, it actually seems like um, further than that to me now. And like at those years, like it seems like it was like 2010 or something, but based on Amazon, it says it was 2014. So Alan and I have known each other now, I guess, seven years. And it what book was it? 
Uh, it was called Share Your Message with the World. It's put together by a gentleman named Tony Gambone. Is it Gambone or Gamboni? It's Gamboni. <laughs> is it Gamboni? Yeah. No. yeah. Oh, Gamboni? Is it? Well, I'm asking you. I can't, oh, I, can't I, th- I think it's Gambone. Yeah, I kind of do too. So, uh, and so, yeah, so Tony put this book together. And I say that I bring this up because, you know, obviously uh, Alan's a part of our Blue Talks anthology series. And people will say to me, you know, why should I be part of an anthology book? What's the benefit? And I feel like a lot of people forget the relationships you can build with the other co-authors. Like when right. people are all like, I'm going to become a best-selling author. And that's the total goal. Or if they're already a best-selling author, I don't need to. I'm already a best-selling author. But, you know, I was I went into a um, Wall Street Journal USA Today co-author book. And there was an investment involved. And I've had multiple clients come to me from that book that now work with me. They've signed up for our programs and stuff. And that's because I built a relationship. It wasn't about, hey, what can I get? We built a relationship over time. But the point is, is that if I just went into it to become a best-selling author, those great relationships never would have happened. And Alan, you know, I'm still, and you're probably as well, but I'm still in contact with and friends with probably, I'm going to say eight, if not 10 of the co-authors in that book out of 27. You know, this seven years later and, and all, and again, not intentionally, but most of them have been clients of mine and it just happened over time. So this is this off topic, but I just want to put that out there for people that if you're ever thinking about, should I be in a co-author book? Here's an example in real time of two people that that's how they met, you know, that's how they connected. So, so having said that, Alan, let's, let's dive in. Um, What, I guess, maybe we'll go from there. What have you been doing? Like what you did whenever you co-authored the book? Is that still the exact same thing you're doing now? Like, as I, I love seeing if people, you know, where they go from stuff like that. So that's seven years. Are you still doing the same thing you're doing when you were in that co-author book? Yes. Still that's doing amazing. the same thing and doing, um, doing my best to get better known, but I'm not pushing it too much because my private practice is kind of busy and I'm obviously anticipating getting busier once I start marketing that e-learning program to the addiction treatment centers. Absolutely. And I guess then, and I mean, I'll jump ahead one step further, but with the addiction uh, treatment centers, now, do you feel, how do you feel they're going to embrace that? And I say this and ask this because I know when my girlfriend was in treatment, the four agreements, if you're familiar with that book, yes, like they not only embraced it at the treatment center she's in, everywhere you looked, you saw signs of it. Like they, you'd walk in the woods and, and they would have don't take things personally. And it was like literally a plaque that said the four agreements on the top. They, they integrated into the whole treatment center. And my girlfriend still to this day, you know, uses those four agreements all the time because of that. And so what I'm getting at is this is a private treatment center that totally embraced an idea, you know, in the four agreements. So do you feel that you're going to get a lot of uptake and people are really going to embrace this? Well, I have a quick aside for you, which I think you both will find very amusing. Uh, I was anticipating that perhaps at some point during the interview, you were going to ask me if there was any particular book that I've read that I really, truly enjoyed. And that was going to be The Four Agreements. (laughs) So in case you were going to ask me that, that's my answer. (laughs) But I think it's kind of interesting that you said that. And that's what I was saying. It's like, oh, he read my mind. (laughs) Well, Um, we'll say it definitely wasn't a coincidence. Yeah, right, right. Um, So to answer your specific question, um, I've had some preliminary conversations with maybe one or two treatment centers, and they said that there isn't anything like that that's available to people. And one of the things that makes that e-learning program so attractive 
is it's not competition with the treatment centers. It adds to what the treatment centers will be providing to the clients. Mm, I love that. Yeah. And, and I feel like that's why I was asking that because I know, you know, obviously it's like high schools, right? There's a resistance to certain talks and certain speakers for different reasons. Like for example, uh, if a speaker comes in and somebody else sponsors them for something else, then the school might say, well, we can't have you in here because you're sponsored by somebody. I know there's certain times rules and I know with treatment centers, if it was overlapping what they're doing and they would see it as this is going to, you know, remove the people from what we're doing in person and make them think I can do it all at home or what have you, then it might be a conflict. But in your case, like you say, it's actually supplemental. Like the four agreements book isn't obviously, you know, this treatment center she went to, I think is, I want to say, I think it was $30,000 a month. It was something crazy like that. Well, obviously a, a 10 or $20 book isn't replacing the whole treatment center and they know that. And so same idea, like if it's a compliment, regardless of what the price is, I feel like they'll embrace it. And so it sounds like you've already flushed that out and they see it as a compliment. Yes. That's awesome. Yeah, like I said, I, I mean, that that's that's the important work. Like, this is another side of things we don't talk about often here, I guess, at least. But, you know, uh, I had somebody I interviewed the other day, um, Ken Honda, and he talks about um, happy money. And he defines happy money as uh, this lady. He met this lady uh, in Japan who asked him to see his wallet. And she basically started rifling through his wallet and said, good, you have happy money. And he's like, what does that mean? And she said, the money you're earning is passion money. Like you're earning it by giving great value. And that's always going to be happy money. And I feel like when we're doing something that serves other people and we can make a living at it, that's happy money. And I feel like what you're doing is happy money. That was a long roundabout way to say, um, I love what you're doing because it's serving people at the same time as earning a revenue. And I would also add, in addition to it being happy money, it's also ecstatic money. <laughs> because I, I just can't even put the words to how much appreciation I get hearing that whatever information I provide to clients has been helpful. That That's really for me what it's about. Mm -hmm. Helping people help themselves. Yes. And know that they can do it and knowing that there's answers, that they're I not stuck. You. That's what makes, that tickles me inside. That's what brings up that giggle, the internal giggle. It's like, yes, you got it. You know, like, okay, now go be fabulous. Whatever that means to you. Like, I'm not tied to that. Go be you. Yep. And sometimes, actually pretty often, the information that I give is simple. It's not so easy necessarily to implement. And so very often the response I'll get from clients is like, that's it? That's what I need to do? I say, yeah, yeah but, but you got to do it. <laughs> that's it. That's my next line. Yes. And now I need to help you to learn how to integrate that, especially when your emotions are very high so that you can get the benefit from using that strategy. Right. Right. You know, I mean, on that note, Alan, it's like we talk about a lot of stuff uh, regularly on here that if somebody implemented it and continued with it could change their life. And an example of that, we, it comes up every one of these ones we do at least, and mostly comes up, I think, at least once a day, but it comes up every time for sure is meditation. And I do believe what most people say, I've done enough interviews with people that meditate to believe that if you meditate for 15 or 20 minutes in the morning or 15, 20 minutes at night and do that and don't stop, it will absolutely change your life. Absolutely change your life. And it's simple. 15 minutes, 20 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes. It's simple, but that doesn't mean it's easy to do. 
like religiously do and make it a habit. That's another thing altogether. So well, do you stopping and taking a deep breath. You know, I mean, there's a lot of things. Drinking eight glasses of water if you happen to be in a you know in a country where you can. Like there are things like we can know it, but just because. Okay, so I use an example: dental floss, right? Dental floss works, and the beauty about dental floss is, is that as soon as you start using it, it works. It doesn't matter if it's been sitting in your drawer for a year. Like, the day you start using dental floss, it'll start working. But just because you know dental floss works, and it's sitting in your drawer, it's not going to, it doesn't, it's not, just because you know it works, and you don't use it, it, it won't work. And it's like EFT, right? Tapping and emotional freedom technique. It's like dental floss for emotional plaque. But just because you know you can and it's at your fingertips, it's right here. But just knowing it is not enough. I agree. Absolutely. Not. And, and that's, I mean, again, that's the, the world great struggle, right? Like, you, you, you have to make it a priority. If you don't make it a priority, like, it's just like, I don't have time to meditate. I don't have time to floss my teeth. Yes, you do. But as soon as you do, the beauty of it is, is that there's no, it doesn't, it doesn't ever expire. No. 100%. Right. So the soon as you start using the dental floss, it'll start removing that plaque. As soon as you start meditating or using EFT or using a different modality, it will start removing the emotional plaque. Absolutely. Yeah. 100%. And then also to follow up on that idea of, I don't have enough time. I'll tell people, you know, it doesn't have to be 10 minutes. Start with two. Yeah. Start with, you know, just get started because then what you're actually doing is you're getting into something called momentum. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Or a habit, right? Building a new habit. Yes. yes. Yeah. I, I feel like, too, you'll get, you'll see the, well, here's a great example. How I discovered meditation, and I'm still, I mean, I still miss the days. Like today, I missed the day. And I don't beat myself up when I miss a day because I'm still every day going, oh, but I got to get back on the horse, though. Like, I don't forget that I got to get back on the horse. But how I discovered meditation was through yoga. So I went and did yoga, which, by the way, I wasn't sold on either at the time, but I wanted to fix a balance problem. And it was my last resort, and it did work. But what I noticed was the best part of the yoga for me was that last minute in Shavasana when you're in wow. silence and yeah. all of a sudden somebody said, you should meditate. And I said, what's that? And they explained it. I said, that's Shavasana. That's not meditation. That's Shavasana. But I was doing it one, uh, one minute at the end of a yoga practice and it impacted my whole day. So to your point, Alan, that high and that feeling you're going to get from meditating for two minutes, if you, like you said, only need two minutes or 20 seconds, whatever it is, what you're going to get from it. If you keep religiously doing that just two minutes a day, you're going to want more of that. That's what's going to make you find the time. Yes. You got to start somewhere. Start yes. Yes. And of course, the other one of the other benefits of that is once the person starts to see that there are benefits, they're more inclined to continue. Right. Absolutely. So I have a personal question for you. You can uh -oh. choose to answer or not. I'm curious as to what inspired you or what events in your life sort of propelled you to go into this side of helping people in their lives, addiction, you know, marriage, you know, helping people with their marriages and that sort of thing. Was there something that happened personally in your life that actually kind of you said, okay, this is the direction I'm going to go because I was there and I want to help somebody get through this or marriage. You know, what was it with their marriages and that sort of thing? Was there something that happened personally? I was listening to the you? I was listening to the feedback. There's, I can still hear you asking. I can still hear you asking the question. Okay. Well, actually, it was something that happened when I was, I believe it was somewhere around seven or eight years of age. Okay. 
I was sitting on the piano bench in the dining room and I heard my parents talking. And my father was telling my mother that one of our relatives was coming over because she had a problem and he wanted to see if he could help her. I remember at that exact instant, I thought to myself, I want to do that someday. That's amazing. And then when I was going to grammar school at that point, I would come home for lunch. And there was a TV show on where a therapist was helping people. And I remember seeing that TV show and I would sit there and think to myself, how does that person know what to say? And I decided I was going to watch that show every day and learn everything I could. And that's really what brought my attention to the idea of that's what I wanted to do. And then, of course, I had other experiences in my life where, let's say, for example, classmates would come to me and ask my opinion. Uh, maybe I would say things when I was with my family and they would say, wow, that's really interesting you said that. Mm-hmm. And, and so it was kind of a growth thing, but it was that moment when I was on the piano bench growing up that, you know, I really think I was meant to do what I'm doing. And it was just a question of having the awareness about it. And you did at that age, like you were like, and, and what, what I love too, I mean, we've talked about, you know, feeling like a victim or feeling inspired. And a lot of times that comes from our parents, whether, whether it's intentional or not, you know, and it still happens and being able to see your father as this role model. I mean, that's huge for one's self-concept to have somebody in your life who happens to be your father that can make that kind of an impact, not only in your life, but in the lives that you're making for everyone else now. Yes. I love that. That's one of those tickle me inside moments. (laughs) Yeah. And then there's one other point that I want to make, which I think could be very helpful for people who might listen to this this podcast. Please do. This is really funny. Okay. And then I'll tell you what I think the underlying lesson is. I'm in. Okay. Approximately maybe three years ago, my brother-in-law died. And we had gone to the funeral and we went out to eat at a diner. That relative who had come over to my parents' house. Okay. Okay. Came over and started talking to me. And I don't remember if she brought it up or if I brought it up, but we started talking about her coming over that day. Now here's the funny part, but I'm going to say what I think the lesson is from it actually. Okay. My father was an exterminator. I already get it, but go ahead. (laughs) Yeah. So she was coming over to find out what she could. I think she had termites or something else. Oh, I didn't get it. It was, I totally went way too deep with that. Go ahead. Oh, okay. But what I think the, the underlying foundational lesson to this is, it's not necessarily what happens in our lives sometimes it's the way we perceive it i i'm going to add to that it's all the time how we perceive it is everything so it really didn't matter that she wasn't coming over for personal help what mattered was my hearing that 
helped my awareness to be able to focus on what my life journey was going to be. That is like the best story. It's the first time I've ever told it. Really? Yeah. Well, I'm so glad I get the face to face. I absolutely adore because that really embodies every, everything that the message that I know Corey and I have come together to share is that, you know, we talk about flipping your script, which thoughts become beliefs because as you know, if we think it long enough, it gets ingrained and grows roots, but it really, our belief forms the lens of what we, how we look into the world, which is our perspective. And that perspective is really creating the reality that we're living. And when we can shift and when we shift that perspective, Right. So if you didn't know that that was the story. Right. And, and then maybe it was totally different on the flip side, but you would have known that when you heard it, it could have changed everything. It could have. It could have. And what I was also saying that it was just the last part of the story that I told for the first I'm telling for the first time. Is that you, the, the awareness that you have? The, the, the termites. Oh, the termite piece. Yeah. Yeah. That's the, that I've never told that part. But you know it's funny because when okay so when you said exterminator what what came to me like right then and there was that no matter what i mean you're helping people exterminate the things in their lives that aren't benefiting them right so there's some you know being an engineer like i feel like i'm an engineer i help people engineer and recognize how they're 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 engineered with their emotions and how it's driving their energy and what the how that's creating whatever's going on in their lives so there's and or being a mindset architect. How is our mindset, and how are we like designing our mind? Um, and 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 I'm gonna I, something's coming to me that I want to have a conversation with you about as far as the term addiction. Um, I because for me personally, and I'm gonna just I just want to have the conversation to learn a little bit more about your perspective, if that's okay. Sure. Okay. So. I tend to work with individuals in three categories, either, you know, PTSD, suicidal addiction, you know, things that are like really heavy duty, managing the crap we don't like, chronic pain, bad relationships, not enough money. And then people who are actually thought leaders and people who are already leading their group and their tribe and we learn and manifestations are coming to them so quickly. I'm, I teach them how to like ride the wave as I call it. Right. So if we get back to the beginning part, I feel like the individuals that do come that I do have conversations with who who look at themselves or feel like they're addicts, there is a definition and a connotation that they're already bringing to the table for them that they're always going to have to carry like this torch of being a certain way. And the way that I, I, I choose to look at addiction for my own self is that people, somebody who's made this choice, right, and got 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 um connected to the choice because they were outside of alignment they were already out of alignment and they were searching for something that would help them feel the way that they really wanted to be feeling and it turned into that chemically right they've chemically became addicted to something that obviously wasn't working because it wasn't helping them get to reach their goal and the goal was to feel better to have more contentment in their life to recognize that they have value to love themselves the way that they knew they deserved to be loved on some level or they wouldn't have been searching to begin with so do you find that like the term addict sometimes holds people a little bit back from finding that sort of more center of who they am who they are or is it just me? I don't know. Like, I just no, feel like no, certain no, words. No it's, no, it's not just you. 
I'm thinking about all the different ways I can respond to your question. <laughs> it was a big, long question, long-winded, but the bottom line is, is I feel like the term addict sometimes holds people back from, fr from having the freedom of just being. They're so on guard. Well, I think that happens more often than not. Okay. That the, that the term addict holds people back. Mm -hmm. And whenever I speak with people who I say have either a chemical, an alcohol, or a drug challenge. Okay, yes. I always talk about the difference between labeling and describing. Thank you. Yep. You're going to be, I'm going to cry because I, because I think it's so important. Oh, yeah, I think it's essential. Mm -hmm. It's essential. And what I explain to people is that if you consider yourself to be an addict, you're saying that's what you are. And if that's what you are, how can you possibly change it? And then with some humor, I add in the example, you know, if I'm talking to a male, I'll say, well, you know, you're a man. You're not going to change it unless maybe you have an operation. But basically, you were born male. So if you are, it almost doesn't even make sense to try to change it. Yeah. But if what it is that you're doing, you can always change what you're doing. You just need to want to change it and you need to know how to change it. And changing it has to replace the benefit that it's giving you and maybe even more than what it's giving you. And help you really get to the goal, which is to feel better and love yourself the way that you, obviously there's a part of you that knows you deserve more. And you're, and I feel like people who are so disconnected for that, they just search for, I had two, I had two guests that came to stay with us at our retreat, at, at our retreat, our everyday retreat. And, you know, we get, leave a bottle of wine in the, in everybody's room as a welcome and stuff like that. Cause First of all, we don't do bottled water, and sometimes it's cheaper than bottled water. But anyway, we leave them a bottle of wine as a welcome. And they were like, thank you very much, but, you know, we're addicts or, you know, we're an AA or whatever. And we sit by the fire pit a lot, and I like to have conversations face-to-face. -face, and I'm who I am. I'm still, you know, the mindset architect. I've, oh, I'm always about, like, helping people have a new awareness. And we were talking, and I said, you know, what if you looked at it a different way, right, as opposed to that I'm an addict and I – um you know, I have to do this and I'm always on guard and I can't, what if we just said, you know, the route that you took to get to where you want to be wasn't working for you. And now you're on a journey to find a way that works and supports who you want to be more. And they were both, they were a couple and they almost like they had tears in their eyes and they just felt this, they felt like they were set free from this bondage of this term that they were, that they were trying to, to, to hold on to who they were, but it was so hard because they were these addicts and, and they were set free in that moment around the fire pit to know that, well, that they were just making choices that weren't really getting them to where they want to be. They weren't supporting the version of themselves that they were wanting to connect to again. Yes. Yeah. So I, I asked the question because that ex I had that personal experience. And when we had the conversation, sometimes I just connect and, you know, the information comes through. But I just saw the free, they were set free. They were almost like being held back from this label. Yeah. And one of my frustrations in past years was the use of the terms addiction, addict. And within the past few years, there's a diagnostic and statistical manual that has also changed the language 
and they've changed it from addiction or whatever other terms they were using to substance use disorder. Even Which, that's freeing more, yes, gives somebody much, more of an opportunity. Yeah. Much more neutral. I'll tell you in, in the same light and same conversation, uh, one of the things that I know addicts suffer with, and, and I say this because I've been to a lot of AA meetings and I've heard the conversations on this regard. I don't know it firsthand. I mean, I think like I'm an addict of other things, but I mean, when I'm talking strictly, if we're talking like substance. And so one of the things I know Shelly would love to see happen. I mean, one person can't make it happen, but it's really what you're both talking about is recognizing that alcoholism is a disease. From, and, a, medic, from a medical point of view. Right. Because, I mean, it's even it's even been proven it's hereditary. So how can you say it's say not... That part again. Say that part again. It's even been proven it's hereditary. Well, can we can throw epigenetics in there and, and take yeah. that whole out of the picture. Can I say something to that? Yeah, please do. Okay. I do not believe that it's hereditary. I don't either. I believe that there is a genetic predisposition. I should have used that terminology. I, I mean, I'm, I'm not... Uh, because I'm not, I don't spend my time in the field... I, I shouldn't like I should use well, I should ask you what the terminology is, but I mean that it, it can be genetic is all I meant. But what I'm saying is that just because a lot of people the reason I say this is because I hear a lot of people with that are in addiction that struggle with people saying, just quit. Just quit this. Yeah. And it's not that easy. You know, and we can say that about quitting food or certain things, like meaning like Or the way we think. I mean, yeah. there's so many things that we can spend more time focused on or make choices to you, pick that, choose that over and over again, as opposed to something else, because that too becomes a habit. Sometimes we are chemically affected by it, but I just think it's, you know, we talked about, I am with Nancy. Well, when you say I am an addict, I mean, you are now like labeling your own self and, and, and putting the restraint. It's almost like a restraining order on the ability for, for an individual to be who they are, right? And when, when you're back into alignment and you recognize your value and who you are, I mean, my sister was in AA and NA and this A and that A and all these A's. And what it really was, these were, these were side effects for her. These were like the symptoms of her having a, a very challenging childhood and, and never really being nurtured in her self-concept. And, and I'm not saying this holds true for everyone, but she can have a glass of wine now and she's not addicted because the reason she was doing it isn't the same anymore. She wasn't going, the results, the, re, the goal wasn't the reason. She was going for feeling a different way. She already feels that way. So it doesn't, it's not having the same effect. And, I, and I'm not sure that it's true for everyone, but I've just witnessed it in my own life. Here's what I'll say, and, and Alan could talk more to this than me for sure. I'm just going by what I've seen and experienced firsthand with other addicts uh, or with addicts. And, and I'm not trying to keep labeling the name, but I'll explain why I say that. In AA, so to your point at least, the reason you probably won't see the world change the way that you wish it was that way is because in AA, you're taught. To, the first word you say is, my name is Corey and I'm an alcoholic. And they teach you in AA. Bill, who wrote the book, says they've proven, and they, it is kind of true, more people have quit alcohol through AA than any other thing in the world. So it's going to be hard for you to convince whenever you have all these people. I'm not looking to convince and I'm not wishing anything. I mean... That's why you won't see change, I think. And then also, the other thing is uh, that they... they Because they talk... Uh, there's a few things that you just said, like that in AA, for example, one of the things they say as an addict is uh, one drink is too many and a thousand is never enough. So again, the idea I can't have one ever again in my life is the feeling. So the things that you're saying, you'll probably never see happen because 
AA is the biggest organization teaching this, and they read the book. It's not the only way, Corey. You just met. Oh, and I'm not good. I'm not good with names, but remember, you said that when you were a speaker, you got paid for speaking right away, and then you put you brought all this twenty five thousand dollars, and this guy who wrote whoever had this, and everybody was like, you can't do that because this is the way it's always been done. Well, I'm just gonna say I'm gonna just throw that right back at you because anything's possible, and I think yeah. that having this conversation um, with Alan right now is. You know, you're in it firsthand, so maybe we should ask Alan what he thinks. No, I agree, and I'll just finish off that by saying, Elise, when we, we talk about that, um, I'm not saying that there's not a million people that have quit drinking cold turkey. I mean, yes, that, that happens all the time. I'm just saying I think the reason you won't see it change in those ways is because the biggest uh, approach to it teaches those things. Well, I don't know. I'm interested to hear about. I'm interested to hear about Alan's approach. I, I'm I'm resonating with his with your approach, Alan. So I'm I'm I want to hear it from the from the expert. <laughs> okay. So I do believe in individuality, and I also believe in not taking chances. So that's fair. Yeah, there is a reasonable possibility that someone who's had an alcohol challenge and who has been abstinent for a year, two years, three years, five years, really, I knew someone who was abstinent for 25 years and, and relapsed. It is possible, but it's not necessarily a 100% given. Absolutely. Be yeah, because also part of what contributes to someone having such a strong connection to alcohol is their physiology because there's a very strong connection between sugar and alcohol. So if people have, if an individual has a problem processing sugar, they may also have a problem processing alcohol in the sense that it creates a craving, which is one of the reasons why I always talk with anyone why well, talk with anyone about it anyway but especially <laughs> especially people who have alcohol or drug challenges about nutrition because what i have found is that people who can maintain their blood sugar level within a so-called range they don't have the cravings ah very interesting very interesting perspective Yes. In fact, one of the experiences I had was I had someone come to me several years ago, actually, and he was a binge drinker, which meant he would drink on weekends, certain weekends, large amounts. And he had been to many treatments and he was inpatient treatment, outpatient treatment, all kinds of treatment. Like you said, A, 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 right? Okay. Any A. Give me an yeah. A. Pick an yeah. A. Yeah. <laughs> So, and he was like in his 50s. Okay. I started talking to him about nutrition, and he, and he looked at me like I was nuts. He said, No one's ever talked to me about this. Like, what are you, are you trying to tell me that if I change the way I eat and I follow the guidelines that you suggest, that that can help me? I said, Yeah, I've seen it many times with many clients. He said, You know what? I don't have anything to lose. The worst that will happen is I come back and go, ah, it's a bunch of baloney. Okay. He followed my guidelines 
everything worked out really well for him. And I feel like the other thing too is at least you talked about it earlier. It also, I mean, there's obviously there's a big psychological component to this whole thing and what's happened behind the scenes that's driving the drinking. So my, my mother, and she'd be open for me saying this, I won't go into much detail, but she was dating a guy who he ate immaculate and also had a massive drinking problem. But they said they feel he lived an extra 20 years and his skin looked so healthy, even though he was drinking at that level. But even though in his case, he probably had everything leveled, but he couldn't stop drinking. But I think it was because it was a psychological thing of what happened in his life, which I don't know, that was pushing the drinking. So in other words, it was it was something that he wasn't fixing. Individuality. Was, yeah, but he was so he was super healthy. Like if you if you didn't see him drinking, you would say this guy's like the healthiest guy I've ever run into. He, when he was fifty, he looked like thirty, and the, and it let him live a lot longer. He did die of liver disease, but it let him live like twenty years longer. And my mom said, what he would do, by the way, too, is he when he would get on a real big drinking thing, then he would stop for a bit and then start eating super healthy, and even healthier than he while he was drinking. And then he would get really good and fit and everything. And then he would jump back into drinking and it would all deteriorate again. But to your points, both of yours, um, on one hand, the eating, I think, did level him out. So he lived a lot longer. He seemed healthier. And on your point, at least, the biggest thing that was driving it was something in the past that I'll never know. I don't know right. what he was dealing with. but there were, And my mom know, like she said, there was stuff he was dealing with. She knew it. And it's not her place to tell me. It's not my business to know. But he was dealing with something that he never addressed, I don't think. Yep. I, there's no right one. I mean, Alan, you would know this better than us, but I don't think there's any one size fits all type answer for any of this. Stuff. For anything. For anything. For in, I mean, across the board. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And that's exactly the reason why my approach, which is what I call, it's not my own term. It's a very well-known term. That's exactly why my approach to working with anyone is holistic. I look to identify every possible contributing factor, regardless of how big or how small, so that there's the least possible chance of interfering with that person's intention to accomplish their goal or goals. Boom. Amen. Amen. <laughs> you know who I'm referring if somebody's having a challenge with certain substances in their life for sure so do you work one-on-one -on -one with people are you work do you work directly with certain facilities is it just the program that you're working on so how could somebody like find you or reach out or attain your knowledge well i'm gonna be funny one way is to listen to the podcast which is <laughs> no 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 i mean right, right here this yeah another way is to go to my website which is alansimberg.com okay okay um the other website that's related to the treatment centers with the e-learning course it's almost complete but it is accessible at this point it's not exactly the way it's going to be it's lifemasterywithalan.com okay you're going to put okay. that in there Corey. yeah i'm putting both in Okay. And, and also, my phone number is 281-785-0660. Is that and on your website? Yes, it, it would be, it's on my website. And, and also, I am only working virtually at this point, and I'm in independent private practice. Love it. 
love it, love it, love it. I, I, I really, I resonate so much with your approach and who you are. You never meet, you never meet people virtually or even in person where you feel like you've met them before or like, I feel like, I don't know, this is not our first interaction, even though technically or whatever, virtually it really is. Well, how about this? Familiarity to, to who you how, are. How about this? In, in this lifetime, it is. <laughs> in this in this lifetime, it is. Exactly. Exactly. Well, Maybe. it's nice to see you again. Where you been? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's funny. I didn't recognize you at first. Right? But now you know where I'm coming from. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Well, Alan, this has been an absolute pleasure. I knew from our past interviews it would be. Uh, let's call it a to be continued. I, it's been such a long time since I've had you on our, like my podcast, the let's do influencing one, my main podcast. Mm -hmm. And so let's, I'll circle back with you on that and let's make sure we bring you on that as well. And I'd love to have you on in January when I start to flip your script Fridays again, it'll be right here. Blue talk at the blue on the blue talk stage. Um, I'd love to have you on and carry on this, you know, continue the conversation. Well, that would be great. Cause I've certainly enjoyed talking with both of you also. And a quick little aside, would it be possible for me to get like a link to this so I could put it on that website for the treatment centers? Yeah, I'll, oh, you can give him. The, you can actually give him the actual download, right? Can't you share that with him? Do you do that still with each of these? Yeah. So what I can do, we're going to be working on soon separating these out. So when I say separating, I mean like every interview separate from each other. I've done that for each one. Uh, I think at least I've sent you a lot of them. Um, we missed the last round, I think. Corey. But, um, but yeah, so Alan, once we do that, I can send it to you as a separate link. But in the interim, uh, there's a few different places I can send it to you. Like, so you can decide, but in the interim, we could put it up under, it's on LinkedIn Live, YouTube. So I can actually send you one of those links. Or on the Blue Talk, I would also like, that would be nice if you shared it on the Blue Talk, slip your script stage. And this way they can come back too and, and listen to other interviews here on on the stage yeah so in the interim one of the other you could youtube or what i can do is send you the link from this actual facebook uh call it stream and then then it'll take them right here and they can watch you right here like they're seeing you now live but it'll be the replay and then while you're while we're doing that i'll get you your clip as well that i can send you separately too and you can embed that clip somebody can whoever somebody, in your yeah, somebody <laughs> I know, I know. Somebody yeah. can embed it so when they go to your website, they can watch the video just from your site alone. Yeah, and yeah, I really so short look term forward. I'll get you this link, and then long term I'll get you a private link for you. Okay, thanks, and I certainly do look forward to talking to each of you or both of you again. We'll make that happen, my friend. Absolutely, what a pleasure. What is what a pleasant surprise. <laughs> well, I, this really made my day. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.